Hello, listeners. Whilst the content of this podcast was good, the sound quality is not so good um, after an experiment of doing the podcast outside. So pre-warning when you listen to this one. Thank you for bearing with us. An Irish girl and an English girl walk into a bar. Nothing unusual. Well, except the bar is on a tiny volcanic island, 1,200 miles off the coast of South America, 1,800 miles off the coast of Africa. Nothing in between but ocean. A place where the Union Jack hangs outside, but it's 30 degrees on Christmas Day. A bar where everybody knows your name and the bartender knows your order. This is a podcast of two girls blathering about their favourite things, birds, books, life affairs, trips away and slips, trips and falls in the most remote place in the world. Well, hello listeners in New York and Slovakia and the United States, the rest of it, and UK, and all sorts of weird and wonderful places. This is me, Nicole Shamir, and you? Anya Hurley. Very gratified to hear we have so many international listeners now. (laughs) Yeah, we've been looking at the uh, analytics before coming on here, which is very interesting. But yeah, drop us a, a line if you'd like to say hello, if we haven't met before. If you're new to the podcast or you've been there from day one, just let us know. Say hello. Yes, we'd love that. Can you contact us through Spotify or through the for the platform? Because people that don't know us wouldn't be on our social media. Yeah. So we do this podcast through Anchor, mm-hmm. which is one of the um, podcast making apps. Um, and there is a way to contact us through that. Oh, great. So if you don't know us, contact us through that. Because of, Whereas if you do know us, obviously you can Facebook us. <laughs> Anyway, or ring us. we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> so we are today in the lovely part of St. Helena in Half Tree Hollow. And we are up the hill and we have an absolutely stunning view of the ocean behind us. And we're doing something slightly different today. Usually we are holed up in a room, but it is so beautiful and sunny that we're sat outside mm-hmm. enjoying the weather. Um, however, that does mean that there will be noises. The noise, uh, the listening quality may not be as good as it is before. But that's that's the risk you take with an outside broadcast. You can't control nature. Exactly. As we know, even in a flat, you get a minor bird. Yeah, that is true. Um, so the birds are tweeting, and there's the hum of the, um, well, all sorts of things going on. The uh, lawnmower, by the sounds of it. There's probably going to be some traffic. At some stages, we're quite close to the road as well. Yeah. Um, but that's all part of life. It's great for each tapestry. Exactly. So, Anna, tell us about what today's theme is. <clears throat> well, today's theme is poetry and, quite simply, our favourite poems. So we both um, enjoy poetry and we've discussed amongst ourselves in the past how we would definitely like to do a podcast about our favourite poems. So that's today's choice. Mm. And we've done a little bit of this in the book's uh, podcast, but we won't be doing any repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember, I talked about um, Eddie and the Nappy. Oh yes, I remember that poetry. Yeah. Yeah, and um, there was also um, one like a child's book that I talked about the poems of the child, which I'm trying to recall the yes, name. Yes, and then you spoke know. about the other one where Eddie and the Nappy grew up and died, and then yeah, that was it was really so sad. sad. And then there was okay. a book about the poet we'll, getting we'll through his grief. Yeah, we'll keep mm. it cheerful. <laughs> Well, no, some of my poems are very <laughs> sorrowful. Oh, I'll be interested to hear. I wonder if we've got any of the same. That would be interesting. I don't know, because we've genuinely, we haven't discussed what poems we're choosing at yeah, all. Yeah, we, ne- we, never, we no. never discuss it in advance. So every, every time you hear, like, wonder or any expression, it's actually real. Yes, exactly. So I don't know. It will be interesting to see with the poetry, I think, yeah. I'm hoping to hear some... I'm hoping that you will have some choices that I won't actually have heard before because mm. that's what I really look forward to, hearing new poems or maybe a poem that I've heard once years ago and have completely forgotten about. Like That would be great as well. Mm. So, what's your first choice, Anya? My first choice is Hope is the Thing with Feathers by Emily Dickinson. Just as a brief introduction, um, Emily Dickinson 
is associate is an American poet. She was born in Massachusetts in about I think about eighteen thirty. I mean, I haven't researched the, the exact date now. And she's seen as one of the, um, you know, she's seen as a feminist poet, and she's mm. she's usually often associated with quite dark themes because she wrote a lot of poems which would touch on mental health. Like she has a poem called "I Felt a Funeral in My Brain," and there is some of some of the analysis of her poetry. There are some theories that she'd been you know, in some sort of an abusive or coercive relationship, mm. even though she was single, that there'd been some sort of abuse there because of a lot of the darkness in her poems. But one of her poems is particularly, this poem is particularly hopeful and cheerful because I felt people have had to listen to me bang on about my asthma <laughs> for so long that if I started with a depressing poem about mental health issues, it would just be too mm. much. And I do feel very hopeful and very cheerful today because... Um, We've actually had a lovely day. The weather is beautiful, as you said earlier. And we had a, a lovely... We both went to the swimming pool and had a, a lovely swim earlier today, which is why we, when we do put our picture up, we might look a little bit bedraggled and windswept. A little bit. Well, <laughs> very bedraggled and windswept in that we have been swimming and we're in swimwear. So our yeah. makeup is... is non-existent yeah, and, and hair's like straw hair is like straw so we we yeah. don't look our best but we hey, i think real. we feel good it's real and, and i mean i certainly feel in enlivened by by this and i'm definitely feeling healthier now so that's good but um yeah so i so because i felt um a lightening of my mood today as i started to feel better and had a nice did a bit of exercise and got out in the fresh air so this is my first choice which i actually whenever i am feeling Upset about things. This is a poem that I often quote to myself because I find it quite inspiring. So, Hope is a Thing with Feathers by Emily Dickinson. Hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. That's it. Well, that's really nice. I find it very uplifting and inspiring because it is true. You know, there is always hope, but you don't... Hope's not really an emotion that asks anything of you. It is just there. You just have to find it and embrace it. It's funny with poems that you kind of have to listen to it several times before you get all the meaning because obviously when um, Emily would have written this poem, mm. she wouldn't have just kind of bashed it out in five minutes. <laughs> oh. You know, the first put them down and not change them. So there's obviously kind of a lot of thought that goes into every single word. Mm. So it's nice to kind of go back. But um, it's actually really nice hearing it in an Irish accent as well. Well, thank you. I mean, I could have tried to put on the accents of the poets, but I thought it'd be a bit much <laughs> if I was doing American accents, English accents, Irish accents. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit much. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. So do you want to give us your first poetry choice now, Nicole? Sure, let's go. So this is a poem um, by Tim Burton, who's a famous director. Um, who's done films... Well, most recently, um, he released Dumbo. Um, but for my childhood memories, he was the director of Edward Scissorhands, which actually scared the bejesus out of me when I was a kid. With a young Johnny Depp. Yeah, and I, I don't know why, because, you know, I've watched it actually about last year, and I was like, well, this is fine. Anyway, he's a bit of a genius, and he did a bit of poetry. Um, so this was actually recommended by um, my friend um, Charlotte, um, Charlotte Davies, uh, who I went to school with. And um, Charlotte's really into poetry, so I really, really appreciated her support and um, contributions to this podcast. So this is not the only one that Charlotte has put forward. So thank you so much, Charlotte. So uh, this is called Anchor Baby. Perfect, with the podcast platform. <laughs> Very true. There was a beautiful girl who came from the sea and there was just one place that she wanted to be with a man named Walker who played in a band. She would leave the ocean and come onto the land. He was the one that she wanted the most and she tried everything to capture his ghost. But throughout all their lives they never connected. She wandered the earth lone and rejected. 
She tried looking happy. She tried looking tragic. She tried astral projecting, sex and black magic. Nothing could join them, except maybe one thing, just maybe something to anchor their spirits. They had a baby. But to give birth to a baby, they needed a crane. The umbilical cord was in the form of a chain. It was ugly and gloomy, and as hard as a kettle. It had no pink skin, just heavy grey metal. The baby that was meant to bring them together just shrouded them both in a cloud of foul weather. So Walker took off to play with the band, and from that day on he stayed mainly on land. And she was alone with her grey baby anchor, who got so oppressive that eventually sank her. As she went to the bottom, not fulfilling her wish, it was her and her baby and a few scattered fish. <laughs> so very Tim Burton, eh? <laughs> I love it. Oh, I really enjoyed that. It's it's humorous and it's like yet it's deep. And I think it's like um, it's sort of like a reimagining of the Little Mermaid as well. It <laughs> like almost has that in expri- adult yeah. serious way. I love it. I really like that poem. Yeah, that's great. I'd li- as you said, I'd like to reread it though to really take it in because yeah. that's a double meanings in that. It's brilliant. Yeah. I think it's just it's cl- classic Tim Burton because he, the way he does it, he, he always has like this fairy tale um, story going on, and within that is wound like some serious, mm. true f- fractions of life that you know people actually experience and in this case of course it's a couple where they think they're going to be saved by having a baby and it's just not true <laughs> and I mean even the fact she's called Walker and like she is like the little mermaid she can't walk on land oh, I like that you see these these uh, similarities right on to your next one well my next choice um, it it is on, it, it does appear to be dark and quite negative but I actually find this poem even though it is a negative poem I always find solace in it so it's by Robert Frost and it's I've been one acquainted with the night and it's a poem which I've taken um just the the phrase I've been one acquainted with the night um I now use in like normal everyday language so my mum and I use it a lot so if I have to stay up all night so for example if I have to like do something for work not, you know if I have to stay up all night like packing because I haven't done my packing and oh, let, I have let's to do an all nighter packing every Friday night yes, <laughs> yes that's different because I'm out socialising but if I have to do an all nighter because I have some practical yeah. chore to do or there's yeah. something really crazy going on that has to just piece of writers has to be done or yeah. something and you know when you get to that stage in the night and you feel like you're the only person up and it's the loneliest place in the world like I'm the only person left mm. on the planet and it's all dark and lonely but I actually find it a comfort because I think I have been acquainted with the night you know I've done the all-nighters before and I can do it again so even though it's negative I take a positive slant from it so I'll just let you see what you think of it anyway Robert Frost I have been one acquainted with the night I have walked out in rain and back in rain I have outwalked the furthest city light I have looked down the saddest city lane I have passed by the watchman on his beat and dropped my eyes, unwilling to explain. I have stood still and stopped the sound of feet when far away an interrupted cry came over houses from another street, but not to call me back or say goodbye. And further still, at an unearthly height, one luminary clock against the sky proclaimed the time was neither wrong nor right. I have been one acquainted with the night. Mm. It talks about loneliness, doesn't it, really? Mm. Mm. So I, one thing I find, if I... So occasionally I'll wake up at, and it'll be three or four in the morning and, you know, you do that thing where you're thirsty or whatever mm-hmm. it is or you need the bathroom and you go out and you get up and then the light goes on and all of a sudden you're awake. Um, and then, you know, you think, oh, okay, well, I better just stay awake and do something productive because I'm not going to sleep. Or, or that's that's yes. what happens to me. Anyway, you know, I, I always find that there's a new mother who is awake. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know who you are if you're listening. Um, and I, I think about it, about the dead at night and all these new who are awake. And they must be... I don't know, they must have some schedules or, like, routines that they do to be like, oh, let's watch this thing or let's do this thing to keep awake. But 
there must be like a sense of loneliness unless you have other friends who are young mums in the same the same position as well and it's just this like weird time where most people are sleeping and you know no one's around and you you want to be sociable and you just can't I agree because I think it is very lonely when you have to stay up late but then I think I, I like the fact that you use acquainted with because I mean acquainted I think is the right word because it's not a you, it's not a friendship with the night of the darkness it's just an acquaintance but I think because mm. he's known darkness and loneliness in a way once you're acquainted with it if you've gone some, if you've sort of got through something once you can get through it again so even though it is negative I do take hope from it because I think mm. I've been acquainted with the night before so I can be acquainted with it again very nice of you mm. good choice what's your next choice Nicole? Okay, so this um, was, or is a poem um, that is adapted from the Beatrice Letters by Lemony Snicket. Um, And I say it's adapted, so um, this was a um, a reading that I was asked to do for one of my good friend's um, wedding, so for Heather and James. And it took me actually quite a lot of practice, um, and I haven't... I'm not very practiced now, so I might get all these words very wrong when I'm Is trying like to say. Like a tongue twister or something. A little bit. Okay. <laughs> so I will try. I try my hardest, but it was just—it's a really nice one. Okay. okay, I look forward to it. I will love you as a thief loves a gallery, and as a crow loves a murder. I will love you as a drawer loves a secret compartment, and as a secret compartment loves a secret, and as a secret loves to make a person gasp. And as a gasping person loves a glass of brandy to calm their nerves. And as a glass of brandy loves to shatter on the floor. And as the noise of glass shattering loves to make someone else gasp. And as someone else gasping loves a nearby desk to lean against. Even if leaning against it presses a lever that loves to open a drawer and reveal a secret compartment. I will love you until all such compartments are discovered and opened. And until all the secrets have gone gasping into the world. I will love you until all the codes and hearts have been broken. And until every anagram and egg has been unscrambled. I will love you as we grow older. Which has just happened. And has happened again. And happened several days ago. Continuously. And then several years before that. And will continue to happen as the spinning hands of every clock. And the flipping pages of every calendar mark the passage of time except for the clocks that people have forgotten to wind and the calendars that people have forgotten to place in a highly visible area I will love you with no regard to the actions of our enemies or the jealousies of actors I will love you no matter what is served in the world's cafeterias and I will love you if you drop your towel on the floor instead of hanging it up I will love you as the dark spot loves the leopard as a leech loves the ankle of a sister, and as a corpse loves the beak of a vulture. I will love you as the doctor loves his sickest patient, and a lake loves its thirstiest swimmer. I will love you as a starfish loves a coral reef, and as an orangutan loves trees, even if the oceans turn to sawdust, and the trees fall in the forest without anyone around to hear them. Oh, that's very, that's really beautiful. <laughs> very well performed. You did, you did a great job in the performance. But it's very beautiful because I like the fact that it's not, it's not stereotypically romantic. Like it's not that really yeah. cheesy, small sea stuff that, you know, it's, I love the fact about gasping for a glass of brandy to calm your nerves. I could really identify with that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it really fits with where Heather and James were before they got married. I think it, they had been together for something like 10 years mm-hmm. um, you know and they'd been travelling together and they'd been through difficult careers and learning about themselves and, and all these things so it did actually you know quite symbolise the, mm. the kind of um, yeah I suppose matter of fact nature of their relationship at that point um, I think the bit about the um, dropping the towel on the floor instead of hanging it up I think that was a slight adaptation from the original right. I think that was kind of personal to them for which I think many um, many couples can um, can um, I don't know associate with I'm the sort of person now who'd be dropping towels so yeah. I just like well, I, I wasn't going to say anything <laughs> 
Yeah, we'll say no more. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> right, on to your next one, Anya. My next choice is actually a song, but I think it is lyrical enough to be, well, it be lyrical because it's a yeah, song, but I think it's, poetry, it is they? poetry, yeah. So this song is, sometimes I like to feel melancholy. You know when you just want to feel melancholy? <laughs> no. <laughs> Never. <laughs> I do. I, I like, with you. <laughs> I like. I just uh. like sometimes to feel sort of melancholy, and I like bitter. I like bittersweet songs and poems. Like I don't like yeah. being sweet, or I don't it's like. True, actually. You know, so I, I think when there's a bittersweetness to it or a melancholy, yeah. it just gives a, a depth and a sense of feeling to something. Side note: When I um, started reading books again, we had this conversation, but you know, as a mm. young adult, I started. Reading. Anyway, I came across the word melancholy and I literally never ex- yet heard this word. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm, I'm coming from the point of view, I was probably like 20 or something. And I was looking at it, I'm like, mel, melon. <laughs> to be fair, it isn't, it isn't a word you'd be using every day now. So for people, like, I'm sure everyone knows what it is, but I'm just going to say for like the 19 year old me who didn't know, it's just that sense of like boredom of life. But anyway carry on on <laughs> well I think as well it's more that sort of just when you feel sad but it's not at all encompassing sadness it's just a sort of ennui like an ennui or a, a malaise yeah maybe yeah anyway so I think this I think this this song does give a sense of melancholy anyway so so it's <clears throat> a rainy night in Soa which is by Shane McGowan so I've been loving you a long time, down all the years, down all the days. And I've cried for all your troubles, smiled at your funny little ways. We watched our friends grow up together, and we saw them as they fell. Some of them fell into heaven, some of them fell into hell. I took shelter from a shower, and I stepped into your arms. On a rainy night in Soho, the wind was whistling all its charms. I sang you all my sorrows, you taught me all your joys. Whatever happened to that old song, to all those little girls and boys? Now the song is nearly over, we may never find out what it means. But there's a light I hold before me, and you're the measure of my dreams. The measure of my dreams. Sometimes I wake up in the morning, the ginger lady by my bed, covered in a cloak of silence. I hear you in my head. I'm not singing for the future. I'm not dreaming of the past. I'm not talking of the first time. I never think about the last. Now the song is nearly over. We may never find out what it means. Still, there's a light I hold before me. You're the measure of my dreams. The measure of my dreams. Oh my gosh. Just breaks your heart. (laughs) I know. But the thing is, the tune really... I'm not going to sing it. But the tune is very wistful as well. So there's, I just think there's a really wistful quality because I, I love a doomed love affair because I just don't like a fairy tale. But, I mean, it's, uh, from what I got from that, they, they were a lot older. Yes, right? that's what I think too, yes. And, and so they were coming in the 80s or 90s or something, but he was... Mm. some the, the point about his friends passing away... The humour about some of them going to heaven and some of them going to hell. But, um, yeah, it's just very matter-of-fact. And it, I suppose it draws down on the question of, like, what is the point of life? What's the meaning of life? Mm. And I think the fell into heaven, fell into hell as well. Because sometimes, like, even if you look around, you know, when you're in your... Uh, say when you're in, still in school, and you look around the, the classroom, and, like, you just never know how people's lives are going to pan out. And, and mm. some people do fall into heaven and, and some people do fall into hell, both before and after. So it's about, like, here and the afterlife. So, and I, yeah, I think it's just... I, I just think there's a wistfulness to it and a, and a sadness, but mm. it's almost like a nice sadness, which is what I like about it, that it's kind of worth the sadness because the good times were worth the bad times is what I get from it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's interesting, I I think, um, being that we're in our our 30s, hearing something written by someone, um, I I assume when he wrote it, it was a lot older than where we are. No, I think Shane McGowan was probably young when he wrote that, because he wrote it probably around the time he wrote Fairytale of New York. He's old now. Well, he's not that old, but he's just in poor health due to his love of the drink. 
defamatory. I think it's not defamatory to say that because I think it's well known that Shane McGowan okay. loves a drink. McGowan, so is he Irish? Yeah, you know Shane McGowan and the Pogues that have that Christmas song, oh, Fairy Tale of New York. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. You always have to explain people to me because I'm just like, I, I'm good with associations but terrible at remembering names. He is fond of the drink. Yeah. Actually, no, he's a martyr to the drink. Okay. <laughs> there we go. So, um, my next poem is, I suppose, like, kind of my granddad related, or I guess my roots related mm-hmm. in one way or another. Um, so, it is a poem about Slough, which is an industrial. <laughs> which is an industrial town outside of London and for years and years it has been um, you know the place where you'd manufacture uh, cars and then I I think Mars is there now and there's printing companies and there's all sorts of like heavy industrial stuff as well Um, and they've always had waves of immigration um, it's where the office was set. Yes, that's it. Yeah, so it's, you know, so they had um, they had uh, Pakistanis, they had Indians. I think that was in Indians were about in the sixties, and then they've had Polish and, and things like that because there are jobs there, right? Mm. But it is um, it has been a very concrete town, mind you. It has had some regeneration recently, and my granddad used to um live there um my dad did for a little while and i had a stint living there for um for almost a year um i gotta say actually they had a really good cinema um it was super cheap and absolutely massive but anyway there was pros to to slough so i'm just caveating it before any slough uh slough listeners or slough based listeners um uh you know have a go at me for this one um but this poem was done by um, John Bateman um, and is very famous and it is about Slough. So, come friendly bombs and fall on Slough. It isn't fit for humans now. There isn't grass to graze a cow. Swarm over death. Come bombs and blow to smithereens. Those air-conditioned bright canteens. Tinned fruit, tinned meat, tinned milk tinned beans, tinned minds, tinned breath. Mess up the mess they call a town, a house for 97 down, and once a week a half a crown for 20 years. And get that man with double chin who always cheat and always win, who washes his repulsive skin in woman's tears, and smashes desk of polished oak, and smashes hands so used to stroke, and stop his boring, dirty joke and make him yell. But spare the bored young clerks who add the profits of the stinking cad. It's not their fault that they are mad, they've tasted hell. It's not their fault they do not know the bird song from the radio. It's not their fault they often go to Maidenhead. And talk of sport and makes of cars in various bogus Tudor bars. And don't look up and see the stars, but belch instead. In labour-saving homes with care, their wives frizz out peroxide hair and dry it in synthetic air and paint their nails. Come, friendly bombs, and fall on slough to get it ready for the plough. The cabbages are coming now. The earth exhales. <laughs> Gosh, it's more hate mail than a love letter to the town. You know, you hear of love letters to towns, and you're like, poor slough gets hate mail. I know. Honestly, this John Bateman poem is just like, it's pretty. And is he from there or did he just have a real grudge? Absolutely not. Um, I think John Bateman was actually like, I mean, he was very well. Just kidding, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, I don't know whether it was it was because of this poem that the office decided to be like, ah, oh, obviously Slough. Or it's just the, the way that Slough has been itself, which led to um, the office being created, which basically is a sitcom based on um, exactly what was described mm. in the poem. I think Ricky Gervais was completely um, <laughs> inspired by this because even the way he talks about a horrible man drowning himself or not bathing himself in women's tears or something yeah, I can't remember yeah. the quote, but it just does sound like that horrible lead character in the office 
It's just, it's just funny because, like, it's not just Slough, but, like, some of this is so so familiar. Here I am with my own peroxide hair. I've got um, my painted nails yeah. and my frizzy peroxide hair. I thought that was a bit of a dig at me, actually, <laughs> oh, due no. to my dye jobs. That's a bit like, Ooh. Exactly. Exactly. And about, you know, everyone going down the bar and just <laughs> burping and not, you know, ignoring the sn- stars. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, John was obviously being very snotty. <laughs> But, but at the same time, like, he just describes life, you know, which is not just in Slough, but many kind of industrial mm. towns across the UK. Um, maybe Ireland's the same. <laughs> maybe the rest of the world is the same. We actually have very few industrial towns. It's more like uh, we prefer... Well, we do have towns, but not that many. Yeah, not in the same way. <laughs> just on pause we had a bit of a debate about whether it's John Bateman or something else and I've just had a melancholy moment <laughs> and gone on the internet and been like right how to pronounce this John and um yeah John Betramon um, <laughs> so basically just don't trust me with anything <laughs> So this next one is for you, Anya, because you love a sad poem. Thank you, I do. Um, and it was actually read out in um, Three Weddings and a Funeral, classic film. <gasps> oh, I love this poem. Yes, yes. So, um, W.H. Alden. Is it Alden? It's four Weddings and a Funeral. Four Weddings. Have I you said, said three weddings. <laughs> so dyslexic. It's just my life is so annoying. I just can never remember anything. Sorry, everyone. Anyway, that might be the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this is this is super sad, but like I love it. It's it's just like the best description of seeing someone. It and is. It's just like the pure angst and like desperation and loneliness. And, and why is everyone else continuing on? The, yeah. the question of how are they? How and why are they continuing exactly. on? Exactly. So this is called "Stop All the Clocks, Cut Off the Telephone." Stop all the clocks. Cut off the telephone. Prevent the dog from barking with a juicy bone. Silence the pianos with a muffled drum. Bring out the coffin. Let the mourners come. Let aeroplanes circle, moaning overhead, scribbling on the sky the message, He is dead. Put crepe bows round the white necks of the public doves. Let the traffic policemen wear black cotton gloves. He was my north, my south, my east and west. My working week and my Sunday rest. My noon, my midnight, my talk, my song. I thought that love would last forever. I was wrong. The stars are not wanted now. Put out every one. Pack up the moon and dismantle the sun. Pour away the ocean and sweep up the wood. For nothing now can ever come to any good. Oh, that's really beautiful. I I do love that poem. It's one of my favourite. And I think it is... I've heard it at a number of of Mm. funerals. And I think it is is just perfect. And I, I don't think anyone sums up grief and loss as, as well and just that sense of you know just not understanding why the whole world has not stopped why it's not been written in the sky that this amazing person who was your everything has died and it's really affecting mm. and I think um, I think so when my, my granddad um, who lived in Slough when he passed away I think one thing I found was that the, the, there wasn't much acceptance of um, of the conversation of de- death in like normal, like conversations. So, um, so you know, like I at the time, I really, really wanted to talk about like what had happened with right, my granddad, yeah. and um, you know, I'd seen, I, I'd essentially seen him die, and I'd seen mm-hmm. um, the transition to him dying, and it's such a natural thing, you know. Yes. They would say about you know there's two certainties in life death and taxes um and yet people aren't very good at talking about it or they don't want to talk about it Mm. or it's like it's just taboo to talk about i think in ireland we do death a bit differently we do talk about it quite a lot okay and we have our funerals quite quickly and they're quite a a big 
a traditional funeral is quite a big funeral. So the yeah. world does almost stop for those three days. It does stop okay. for those three days. So you do feel you're given that time. Oh, okay. Because you would stop, you would take those three days off work if you're immediate family and you would talk about it. Like, yeah. And, and neighbours and even just acquaintances would, would turn up and would ask you, oh, how did he die now and where are you there? Okay. And so you do get that opportunity to talk yeah. about it. Because I think, yeah, the matter-of-factness is actually helpful. Because mm, I ask people Not, those questions and I think other people from yeah. other cultures think I'm a bit weird. Because I'll be like, oh, how did you die now? And were you there and was he in hospital? And are you having the funeral? The funeral yeah. might be an open casket. To me, that's just normal. But people yeah. will be just like, excuse me, why are you like sticking your nose into my private grief? What's wrong with you? That is it's so true. Um, there's a really, really great um, documentary um, by um, Billy Connolly um, about death. Mm. And it's absolutely fantastic um and he has been having some health problems and he kind of talks about um he he goes around the world and looks at different traditions and what Mm. they do with death and you know i think it's in mexico or something they have a a festival of oh is it on all souls days at that one something they go to the graveyards i don't know they they um they put kind of face paint on there and to look like you know ghouls and yes and things. i think that is for all souls i think i know the one you mean yeah, yeah. um and then you know he went to i think it was la and and talked about the amount of money put people put in in kind of real estate to get you know a burial oh yes yeah and the fact that some people um you know they express their love by the amount of money they pay after they're dead to keep their body Anyway, no, he. Yeah, I, I mean, Billy's, I Billy's obviously hilarious, and so he was just like, I just don't understand this whole thing. I mean, there's no pocket in the shroud. What's the point of giving them a nice. keeping the money until you're dead and giving them a nice plot? Yeah, no, exactly. And then um, there was somewhere else that um, they all. Um, they make coffins to relate to what that person did so you know how you have a birthday cake yes and like so you say you're a lawyer right and they might put something law related on or they might, okay <laughs> yeah, okay but i know like, what you mean realistically yeah, 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 they yeah. put like a red shoe on yes and yeah, yeah. some like painted nails and books <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so no i'm having glass coffin like sleeping beauty or oh snow white if i die before oh my I'm, gosh if i die in any age that I, or even if i'm old but i've got good plastic surgery i'm having a glass coffin maybe i'm good plastic surgery That's, oh my goodness and your face would just stay the same you'd have to just wear this like <laughs> cloak and just have your face poking out or something but or I'd put some sunglasses say, on oh yeah and I'd want people to say oh she makes a beautiful corpse oh, That's so like she's weird. sleeping she's like sleeping beauty <laughs> she's just so weird <sighs> so my next choice is potentially could have done Betjeman slash Bateman issue because <laughs> this is a poem which Nicole's friend Charlotte has recommended but I've never read the poem or seen it so I'm now going to read a piece of poetry that I've never read before so I'm hoping there are no difficult words. <laughs> Still I Rise by Maya Angelou. I'm already as it may or Maya. Like I do know who it is but I've never been sure in the pronunciation. Right. Still I Rise by Maya Angelou. You may write me down in history with your bitter twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Cause I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides, just like hope springing high, still I'll rise. Did you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my haughtiness offend you? Don't you take it awful hard? Cause I laugh like I've got gold mines digging in my own backyard. You may shoot me with your words, you may cut me with your eyes, you may kill me with your hatefulness, but still like air I'll rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance like I've got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? Out of the huts of history's shame I rise, up from a past that's rooted in pain I rise. I'm a black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear I rise, into a daybreak that's wondrously clear I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, 
I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. Mm. Well, that's that's very very powerful. I, I think I've heard um, I think I've heard individual quotes from that poem before. Um, you know, I've seen like quotes from it, like mm. used as inspirational quotes. And obviously, it's um, well, not obviously, but it it's you know it's it's clearly yeah. my aunt just speaking about the um, you know s- slavery and the need to overcome like prejudice mm. and and racism and, and all of that and yeah, it's I, I find it quite um, quite applicable to kind of anyone with any situation where they're they're in a challenge and and she's. I mean, if she was looking at the entirety of her own life or her ancestors or what have you, and she's just saying, you know, of everything that all the barriers that have come in the way, we've managed to overcome them, which is mm. really powerful. I think so. And I like the fact as well that she says a few times, you know, the part where she speaks about the oil wells and she says, because I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room. Because I do think people who are when people try to marginalise other people and try to bring them down mm. they often do expect people to act with deference and to be you know quite like humble you know that's not you know people yeah. people who are trying to marginalise others want to humble and shame those other people mm. so the fact that somebody would walk with confidence and swagger that is the, the, the best way to stand up to those people is to show that you're not being shamed mm. by them and I- yeah and the amount of strength that comes on of rising above all that stuff I mean, you know, she must have had self-doubt many times during mm. the adversity that she felt, but she just kind of got through it, and it's just very mm. powerful, like you and say. It's really, really powerful. <clears throat> so, what's your next one, Anya? My next poem is a poem by William Butler Yeats. I've um, Yeats has always been one of my favourite mm. poems. I know that is very stereotypically yeah. Irish, but he is one of my favourite poets, and... I think I, I enjoy a lot of his poetry, but I like this one in particular because he has poetry about nature and then he has very political poems. But this one is um, Yeats had a actually for my um, leaving cert history, which would be the equivalent of history A level. My specialist topic was Maud Gunn, a romantic revolutionary, and that was a woman. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. <laughs> A woman who Yeats was madly in love with for years, but was largely unrequited. But then mm. this is extremely problematic to the extent that he then tried to sort of um, transfer his love onto her daughter when she, when she, he was wow. just, it was like as if not, the daughter wasn't a child at the time to, to be yeah. fair. But I mean, I think she was just a, maybe an older teenager, but it was extremely obviously troubling and and, yeah. and everything but he was just so obsessed with this woman there was like anybody that's anything yeah. to do with her is just you know yeah. and then he he she married somebody else and he married somebody else but at the same time he just never got over it so a lot of his poems are, are about Maud gone she was a romantic revolutionary she actually went um, i actually i'll get carried away with my topic now about <laughs> she was involved in the dreyfus affair in france she went to russia brought like had these all these secret papers sewn in her skirts so she was actually very okay. was involved in like the um in in politics in ireland so she was very mm. in the cultural um you know revolution in ireland of like but she's she yeah. a very very interesting woman but he um I think this poem probably is about her because most of his poems about mm. you know women and romantic love are about her. But I've always thought this is a very beautiful poem and I think it does um, sum up love beautifully. So I'll, I'll just say it anyway. When you were old. When you were old and grey and full of sleep and nodding by the fire, take down this book and slowly read and dream of the soft look your eyes once held and of their shadows deep. How many loved your moments of glad grace and loved your beauty with love false or true? But one man loved the pilgrim soul in you and loved the sorrow of your changing face. And bending down beside the glowing bars, murmur a little sadly how love fled and paced upon the mountains overhead and hid his face amid a cloud of stars. Wow, that's really beautiful. 
I think it is really, really beautiful because it's very easy to love anyone during their moments of glad grace. And like when you're young mm. and beautiful, it's e- you know it's easy to love yeah. anyone. But it is only when you when you see yeah. behind the mask and see the true person. Like that's when you can really know whether you love them or not. So that leads nicely into um, my final poem, which is also a romantic mm. poem by coincidence. Um, So this is one we had to do at school. So we had an anthology of poems. um, And there were some really, really good ones in there. Um, I I really liked um, kind of English literature at school, actually, Um, despite being dyslexic and really terrible at it. It was my favourite subject, (laughs) actually, English, yeah. Yeah, it was was really interesting. And I really liked um, the writing. So I was a big poetry writer as well at the time. Um, I think it's kind of gone out of my head because, you know, I've forgotten the rules around, you know, stanzas and all of that stuff. Um, but anyway, this so this was called um, Valentine by Carol Ann Duffy. Oh, I love this poem. Yeah, mm. and she's a great poet as well. She's done some really, um, really great ones. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think it was as well because I went to university in the in the north of England so it just I don't know I, did it's she extra. write would you jump into my grave as quick I have no idea I think she might have it's I about can look it's about this woman who some other woman's trying to steal her husband and she's just like would you jump into my grave as quick <laughs> <laughs> based on a true story I don't know it's either her or else it's another woman poet. You know the way they often group poets together? So if it's not Caroline yeah. Duffy, it's someone who's very much grouped with her. Okay. I don't know, I'm trying to look it up. Oh, Paula Meehan. It's her, she's just, but she's always, they're often grouped together because they're uh, similar, like. It's okay. funny, that one. Okay. Um, okay, so Valentine by Carol Ann Duffy. Not a red rose or a satin heart. I give you an onion. It is a moon wrapped in brown paper. It promises light, like the careful undressing of love. Here, it will blind you with tears like a lover. It will make your reflection a wobbling photo of grief. I am trying to be truthful. Not a cute card or a kissogram. I give you an onion. Its fierce kiss will stay on your lips, possessive and faithful, as we are, for as long as we are. Take it. Its platinum loops shrink to a wedding ring, if you like. Lethal. Its scent will cling to your fingers, cling to your knife. <laughs> so it's... I, I mean, obviously, with GCSE, you kind of really jump into the meaning of everything um, yes, but yeah. the way the way there's like hope in there but it's also really threatening so saying you know the knife the knife it'll <laughs> cling to your life clean to your fingers the fierce kiss will stay on your lips possessive you know it's actually quite <laughs> I, I like I don't know it's it is yeah, that, I think that's why it reminds me of the other poem I mentioned because they both have that that dangerous possessiveness yeah so it's quite threatening that Here's this onion. I'll knife you if you don't treat it properly. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll make you cry. Yeah. But I'm being truthful, and this yeah. is how this relationship's yeah. gonna be. Yeah. I know it's actually kind of, in a way, like the opposite of romanticism, isn't it? It's yeah. very like, like cynicism. Yeah, realism. It's realism, exactly. My my mother used to buy. Um, my mother used to teach that that poem in school. And she used to be buying onions every Valentine's Day because, you see, she used to bring in an onion and cut it to show the layers, uh, you know. Okay. Yeah. Oh, because young people in Ireland have never seen the inside of the onion <laughs> before. She was giving a visual representation of all the layers. While she cried. And then she was showing how you can make the ring. But she did say that everyone would actually just start crying. Yeah. <laughs> from the onion as opposed to the emotion. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's pretty simple. No one's ever bought me an onion for Valentine's Day. No, I wouldn't want them to personally. I just like to say that on the podcast now. No one 
should ever buy me an onion for Valentine's Day <laughs> or a knife either. So and don't threaten me in a romantic yeah. manner. I'd prefer if you didn't. I mean, onion rings are quite a lot nicer than oh, actual onions. I think like, I probably I mean, would yeah. accept onion rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not the crisps, the actual ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I no, hate exactly. The deep fried ones. Mm. Although then in St. Helena, sometimes when fruit and veg are in store supply, an onion might actually be quite a cherished gift. That is true. Apparently, onions have been hard to find this week, but mm. we found one this morning, or we found mm. lots of ones this morning. We found a lot in a very good shop we this won't morning. Say where. We don't want other people going there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i was just stunned so um there are a couple of things you can't get in st lena um one of those things for many years has been mushrooms you got them imported these big portobello ones which didn't last too many days so you had to eat it straight away mm. anyway so the first thing was that i saw garlic breaded mushrooms in the freezer section i got really excited i also got very excited. and then my excitement just hit kind of orbital when I then saw that someone is producing local mushrooms and there was a box of actual real real local mushrooms uh, uh, sorry this is so pathetic I just realized I but... left mine in the boot of your car I hope they won't go off <laughs> <laughs> good I, th- I, I think like all that's left before this place just becomes the land of milk and, and honey but by the way, it's hard to get honey and there's milk. no fresh milk. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, so before this place comes to Mecca, I think it's um, it's soft fruit. Like you can occasionally get it off the flight, but does, I mean, it's, oh gosh. Anyway, we could just talk. There's a whole podcast about food waiting to happen. But anyway. <laughs> and it will happen. It will. But yeah, Carol Ann Duffy and her onion, it does always. It does. Yeah. I like it. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed it. We've got to work out our countdown now. We do. So, speak to you in a minute. This is the countdown for our favourite poems. At five, we have Beatrice letters from Lemony Snicket and also by Lemony Snicket. Hope is a Thing with Feathers by Emily Dickinson. At three, we have When You Are Old and Grey by William Butler Yeats. And two is Anchor Baby by Tim Burton. And one is Stop All the Clocks by W.H. Auden. Oh, it's depressing, but beautiful. Yeah, it's not depressing, it's just sweet sorrow, I'd say. Yeah. And right then, the birds sing. That was perfect timing. <laughs> Goodbye, all. Goodbye, listeners. <laughs>